Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And time, and time again. Crank up the music, charge a glass. This nation is going to dance all night. Why Gary Neville broke one of the most obscure but important rules of the English language. Doing the hard bit before getting a cross in. Cynical finishes. The most gives a pretend live interview to Gary Lineker on Match of the Day manager of all. The most textbook scenario for gobbling up a chance. A triumphant return for in and around corner. Arsenal are free scoring. But are they freewheeling? What exactly is the minimum of fuss? Keezy on raffle tickets and Andy Gray's human stopwatch. Brought to your ears by Goalhanger Podcasts. This is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me for this adjudication panel is of course Charlie Eccleshare. Hello. Hello. And David Walker. Hello. Hello. Our last podcast recording before we head off on the Football Clichés live tour. Seven dates across England, Scotland and Ireland. Uh, I'm buzzing. Charlie, how are you more or less buzzing than me? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm very excited I've also reached the point where I've started to dream about the live shows uh, which tells you it's real it's mm, it's, it's a, occupying me in, in a, an anxiety driven sort of way um, or do you want do you have any clothes on when you're on stage in these dreams <laughs> they've been, they've been so. fairly prosaic ones more just sort of we're there yeah kind of neutral okay we just need to get the first show under our belts oh we really do yeah and then we're away yeah. yeah, we're saying it like it's a cliche, but it, it genuinely does feel like that. Um, Glasgow, very much the guinea pigs for this tour, but the content is it, it's, it's, it's the best yet, I, I believe. It's the best show we've done. That's definitely really true. Excited. That is definitely yes. true. Yeah, really excited for this. Uh, plenty of people asking, actually, Dave, what time it starts, what time it finishes. I can publicly reveal, starts at 7.30, finishes at 9.30 at the latest. 
and a ludicrous half an hour interval. I'm told half an hour interval. Yeah, that is that is long. They might, I don't know, they might lose interest in that half an hour, Dave. Might come back with the same energy like Chelsea in the Carabao. Yeah, I know. You need to keep sharp in that interval. Right. Let's adjudication panel. Let's kick off with the Carabao Cup final. And um, no better place to start. The, the, the biggest talking point of all from the final, it was this. Well, you called them clocked kids. In extra time, it's been clocked kids against the blue billion pound bottle jobs. First thought about this, Charlie, is that Neville's been hanging around with Drury too long. Yeah, absolutely. He's out. He's out Drury'd Drury. I mean, the thing with this is, whenever you speak to Peter Drury, and you know, the obvious question is, do, do you rehearse your lines? Do you, do you practice them? And how could I possibly rehearse them? Because you never know what's going to happen. But this, you could quite easily have known that Chelsea were going to lose this game. In which case, you could describe them in such a way. So I do. I am curious to know how how long in advance Neville had thought of this. It's a bit tabloidy, isn't it? It's quite, it's the sort of thing you could easily see on the back of the sun or something. But, yeah. and I think Drury would have been able to get away with it. Imagine if Drury called Chelsea bottle jobs. Like, they would, the reaction would be much different to, to Neville. You expect you expect a certain level of antagonism and tribalism from, from Neville, I suppose. But Drury, if Drury did this, and, and, and I think he would, he would have given it a, a much more lyrical, it's too route one for Drury. It's also too critical for Drury. I think he, you know, oh, no he, question. He, he, yeah. more, you know, he's he far more likes to celebrate than he does condemn. I have uh, deeper issues with it, though, Charlie. Widely celebrated as it was, it breaks a very um, obscure rule of the English language. I wasn't aware of this till a while ago, but it is, it's gone viral a fair few times. This particular theory it comes from the book Elements of Eloquence by Mark Forsyth. He says adjectives in English absolutely have to be in this order: opinion, size, age, shape, color, origin, material, purpose, noun. So you can have your lovely little old rectangular green French silver whittling knife, but if you mess with that word order in the slightest, you'll sound like a maniac. It, so I put it to you that it should have been billion pound blue bottle jobs. Billion pound blue bottle jobs. The size has to come first. Yeah. I've got a green big bag. Doesn't work. Yeah, there's an example he gives, isn't there, that's, that, that is the kind of wrong way around, and it does sound really jarring. It's incredible. I think Billion Pound Blue Bottle Jobs actually has more of them, and, uh, well, it adheres to the rule, and that's the main thing. The Billion Pound Bottle Jobs in blue. <laughs> that's a, more dreary, if anything. <laughs> I mean, you almost don't need the blue. Because <laughs> oh, you've, you've got to have it. But, it's tapping. Yeah, I get it for the alliteration, but rhythmically, Billion Pound Bottle Jobs mm. actually flows more nicely. It's punchier. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Uh, on the subject of bottling, um, let's remember this classic. Don't talk to me about bottle. Don't talk to me about bottling it, because that's bottle out there. That's quality players giving their all. And we're going to fight to the death, because we've got bottle. But all we can say is that we'll give exactly what we get today, exactly what we've given all season, and that is a 100% bottle. Still great. Tim Flowers there during uh, Blackburn's uh, title tilt. 94-95. Charlie, the, the concept of bottling things, mm. it, it, it's right at the epicentre of kind of schadenfreude football discourse. You know, yeah. a, a lot of chat about football now is, is dedicated essentially taking the piss out of people who have failed. And, and rightly so, because you know, it's at the core of football fandom. But um, whilst we skirt around the concept of bottling quite a lot, and no one really commits to what it means, and then we, but it's a nice thing to throw out. I put it to you that Chelsea on Sunday was a genuine, comprehensive bottle job, not just a not just a one-dimensional bottle job where maybe they were 2-0 up and they lost it. It was a kind of slow-burning bottle job. They lost their bottle for the entire 120 minutes in various different ways. It's, it's one of the most multi-dimensional bottle jobs I've seen for a very long time. 
because they actually did lose their nerve and they, they appeared to... In every to, possible way, yeah. yeah. And, and sort of the more it was there for them, you know, the, their worst period was an extra time where they were playing against the, wor- the, the weakest opponents. I mean, yeah, I mean, because Bottle Job as well, it serves a purpose both for a single game like this, but also, you know, in a league context. I remember there was a big debate. It became like the debate du jour, have Arsenal bottled the title, you know, and what that means. And as you say, from a Schadenfreude perspective, all fans of clubs who don't like them would say yes of course they absolutely bottled it yeah yesterday for a one-off game yeah that's a that's a prime bottle job what's the uh what's the origins of the, of bottle using the word bottle in this context what bottler's bravery you mean that is a good question oh okay cockney rhyming slang well there's uh, one theory the old cockney rhyming slang cockney rhyming slang bottle means arse bottle and glass Originally, you would lose your bottle, i.e. be so scared as to lose control of your bowel function. This has been shortened down to just bottle it. There you I mean, go. There's nothing that, in the etymology of the word that lends itself to it. So, yeah, good old Cockney rhyme and slang. It's always the 60% believable yeah, theory in yeah, these yeah, situations. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure some someone will follow up as that. Well, that's actually not right because it was first used before that. But, yeah, that seems plausible. I mean, literal Dave, you'll, you'll appreciate... Uh, Sky Sports did a I think it's before Newcastle United game in the 90s they did a big bottling it segment with like Newcastle brown ale and kind of <laughs> they were said to have bottled the title but now they need to show their bottle and kind of bottles appearing and this sort of thing very, very nice pre-game Blackburn sponsored by McEwen's Lager yes yeah. so all ties and together and played Newcastle in that match actually that that, that Tim ah, Fowles was yes, having a go yeah. at yeah. now of course this Carabao Cup final was um, defined you know, even beforehand by this sort of collision of narratives, Dave, it was either going to be Chelsea's springboard or, or or kind of the beginning of the end of the of Klopp's last dance, which I'm almost sick of hearing, by the way. On the first point, I'm, I, and I'm only annoyed that Chelsea didn't win for that particular reason is I wanted to talk about whether um, if Chelsea had won, Dave, would this have been a springboard, a catalyst or a platform? I don't think it would necessarily have been a springboard because like you could you could have seen Chelsea win I, I thought Chelsea would win that game on penalties yesterday I thought it was going to go all the way they were going to somehow survive 120 minutes and win the penalty shootout and the focus as you say would all be on Klopp Some, a Liverpool player would have fucked it all up for Klopp but then I could see Chelsea still being shit in the league regardless of winning that whether they'd won that or not I don't know whether even if they had won it they, it would have been enough to shake them out of their of their malaise I suppose depending on the nature of any of, of, of the victories they'd got it but do you mean Adam Moore is how it would have been described rather than how it would end up what it would end yeah. up have proved to yeah, be yeah. yeah this is purely on a language level I guess platform Charlie is often used mid-game isn't it you know they've got themselves a platform here so like a, a bit like a foothold isn't it a platform I think it would be more as well it's got to this has got to be a platform you know that they this is or this has got to be a springboard I don't think you'd be saying it's a because a catalyst is more it proved to be a catalyst for them to go on and you know finish that's more it. of a galvanizing thing yeah. yeah I don't think and I just don't think you'd say it in this context but but i think it's more like it has to be because we don't uh, there wouldn't be confidence you know it, it, that's they, they have to use it as a platform yeah certainly they would be phrased around a question i think platform is the most appropriate one that's kind of what i was trying to get at there really i think platform suggests that there's, there's not as much suggestion as forward momentum as a springboard yeah, or catalyst you've got to use the platform that you've, mm. you've made for yourself springboard and catalyst imply that this will have a natural effect regardless of what they do okay interesting in the real world though Liverpool won, and um, <laughs> we'll never know. Gilles uh, tweeted me saying, "A caller to talk sport earlier, Charlie was asked for his thoughts on Klopp as a Liverpool fan. He described him as a breath of fresh air. This surely cannot <laughs> wow. be sanctioned after nine years at the helm." <laughs> <laughs> wow, has he even been a breath of fresh air? I suppose you could just about say it across the nine years. 
but not now. Well, I'm actually say- sick of him. I'm actually bored of him, personally. <laughs> you could certainly say he was when he arrived. You know, he, he was <laughs> yeah. a, you know, a huge breath of fresh air. I mean... <sighs> Yeah. Could you say it in... So- was it said in the kind of way of like, you know, in a world where a lot of managers, there seems to be a joylessness around football. It's a breath of fresh air to have someone who's won so much and still is as <laughs> energised by this. Still don't think you could. What a job he's done up there, Klopp. What a signing he's been for Liverpool. Right, elsewhere in domestic football this weekend. Um, little niche this one, but I enjoyed it. Joe Gallagher says, uh, Wolves versus Sheffield United. Yasser LaRussi has twice found space on the left and under no pressure shanked his cross-out play for a goal kick. Both times, Don Goodman said this. Larussi. On Lamina now and getting that all wrong. A bit of a miss. Shame he's done the hard bit, really. Larussi. And get round Semedo and he slaps the ground several times in frustration. Yeah, he had one of those in the first half, didn't he, where he did the hard bit, worked the half a yard. Ballooned across high and wide. Now, Charlie, uh, Don Goodman said that LaRussi had done the hard bit, uh, which was the finding the space for the cross. But Joe Gallagher asks, are you having this? The hard bit is demonstrably <laughs> the accurate cross itself. <laughs> it's a very good point. No one's ever called co-commentators up on this because they say it all the time. But is that the hard bit? I don't think it is. Yeah, it's interesting because you normally hear he's done the hard bit is when they work the opening for a shot. And because that might require more skill because they're under more pressure because obviously a defender's really trying to stop you get a shot off yeah just shifting it onto one of your feet especially in the second one because the defender is quite close to him still it's not like he's beaten him I think if, if you like absolutely race past a defender into loads of space to get yourself a good crossing position maybe you could use that when it's just a kind of shifting it before you then have to get it past the defender and lots of other defenders yeah I'm not convinced that is the harder bit this harks back Dave to the discussion we had about great work by player X to set up a goal um, but the two the two concepts clash here because great work by I mean I think we established then it, it, you had to put a lot of physical effort into creating that chance or the opportunity to, to create that chance in this case I think it's less clear-cut it, maybe it's icing on the cake syndrome where we think the shot or the cross is is a mere formality once you've once you've built yourself a platform for it. Yeah, I mean, he did at least try to explain himself on the second example, Goodman, there. He is saying that the shifting of the ball to get mm. the half a yard is is the difficult bit. But I, I agree with Charlie. I don't think that's difficult enough. If he'd done like a couple of stepovers, nutmegged him, nutmegged his, his defender, then yeah, that's obviously demonstrably hard. And after that, you should be able to be in a position where you can just put the cross in. But he, yeah, he's just, it's like really basic wing play. He's just taking the touch, little knock to one side and, and then should be able to put the cross <laughs> Him, but shanked it both times done, he's done the easy bit he's done the moderately difficult bit and then he has the equally difficult bit to come after it who knows but we're not done with Don Goodman at Molyneux Harry Macbeth got in touch and he says um, as Ryan Ait Noori was being subbed off absolutely not having this well, we've got on the assist sheet today Ryan Ait Noori in some ways, Charlie, this is the this is the you know a latest validation for the assists being a being a thing uh, if it were needed. Um, but the assist sheet doesn't exist. Presumably, he is this prefaced by him saying something like, "Well, he did, he didn't quite get on the score sheet today." It sounds like a reference to to the, the way he knowing you think. Yeah, the way he says it suggests it's been well. He's done everything but get on the score sheet today. Got on the assist sheet. Mm, he's a fullback. No one's going to be saying that about the left If he missed back, a shot, I don't know if he did or not in the game, but it, may, maybe I'm giving too much credit, but that's how it sounds. Let's let's see how many efforts on goal Ryan Nuri had for Wolves 
at home to Sheffield United. Not a single shot on goal or off target by Rainer Nuri against Sheffield United. Maybe I'm giving uh, Goodman too much credit. Uh, In which case, yeah, madness. You've said that the assist sheet doesn't exist, but when I have to fill in the results for Sunday League, there is an option of me putting down who got the assists on the official FA full-time website. I was going to ask you about this. I was going to ask if you recorded assists. Clearly you don't, but you have the option to. And then you go, or is it the the full-time FA website and you go to the league pages and I think when I first when I first was about to make the, my debut for Ribblesdale Rovers I went to the league page to see who the top scorers are in the division it's incomplete this is so annoying like it's just it's so patchy there are some teams you bother to record it some teams that don't it's a complete waste of time you'll never know who the top scorer in that division is really um, referees should be taking the information down pay them an extra tenner a game and get them to record the information some leagues do. Some leagues, they, they will say in the moment who scored it. But yeah, generally, it is up to you. I mean, goals should be done properly. Assists, I get that it's a bit of a pain chasing yeah. up. But it's still nice from a completist point of view. Yeah, and it's annoying if you did get one or two and you you don't get that credit. You want to, you're going to be Googling it 20 years later to find how many goals you scored at that level. That's us put it that way. So you're going to want to know. Otherwise, you have to make it up. Right. Earlier in Liverpool's triumphant week, um, Fraser Morgan was watching their home game against Luton. Um, and they were working the ball back to keep possession and the commentator said this Van Dijk looking for Kelleher Dave Fraser says surely a pass to a keeper can't be described as looking for as you should always know where they are roughly going to be on the field can any pass backwards be described as looking for surely this is reserved mainly for long diagonals can you look for a goalkeeper I don't like it because looking for is usually a pass into space no it isn't no it isn't but it, it's a searching a ball a searching right? ball yeah looking for Salah running you know cutting in from the wing into the into the inside channel or something you don't you don't want to be looking for your goalkeeper. No. Even in even in the loosest sense of the phrase. No, of course. I mean, there are times where perhaps you should be looking where the goalkeeper is. I mean, there was a yeah. goal. Watford scored an own goal this season where the defender turned around, played a blind pass straight into the net, thinking that the goalkeeper would be there and he wasn't. But yeah, of course, you shouldn't. It's, it's a strange thing to say. But I suppose the, the amount of passes back to the keeper has gone up so much these days that it's kind of more likely that commentators need more variations of things to <laughs> say but Charlie I was going to say what's the most outlandish way we could describe a pass to the goalkeeper Keller's run Van Dijk yeah. finds him well, yeah well that's the thing looking for does imply a marrying up of pass and run a kind of synergy between those two things and I guess that is happening more because you do have goalkeepers like running around to create space and options in a way that never used to happen they'd just be on their line so they are a bit harder to find now that's, it would it would have the uh, the purists on the edge of their seat with fear the idea that you have to look for your goalkeeper that's for sure next up on gladiators on saturday mark clattenberg steps in to explain the rules of gauntlet to an indignant legend said that when i say don't worry about that hello legend right let's see you speak <laughs> the thing is right now did you cheat no Where's Clattenburg? Where's Mr. Clattenburg? Mark Clattenburg, the referee. Now, let come in, Mark. Now, we'll tell me what happened exactly there, please. Go ahead. When Jake left Legend's zone, Legend carried on to fight Jake. So, therefore, the entire gauntlet is my zone. That's what you told me. He was in the third zone. I've been told I can go. I've got three rolls. Legend, you've lost twice. I'm like Alessandro Del Piero. Next time. You've lost twice. Back in line, Legend. Back in line, Legend. Let's hear it for Jake, everyone. I didn't know. I didn't know Legend was a subscriber to Mundial magazine. Um, <laughs> it seems like a very odd reference to me, Charlie Alessandro Del Piero, uh, at that level of uh, 
Saturday Tea Time TV. Yeah, but then also the kind of one I can imagine one of us make it kind of our reference point being sort of mid to late nineties. You hear free roll less nowadays, don't you? Yeah. Um, obviously, with more kind of regimented tactical systems, probably. But yeah, I was trying to think who would be a, who would be the first player that came to mind with a free. I don't roll. know if Del Piero even had a free roll. He was a number ten, but that doesn't mean he had license to roll. You feel this feels like one for Michael Cox, who's going to go back and say, if you actually watch the Serie A season from two thousand and one, two thousand and two, he was very regimented in his movement. A very regimented system. Yeah, that's played a wider lot. Actually. <laughs> did a job for them yeah I d- yeah you're right Charlie you don't get free rolls as, as such now you get you still get license to roam but that tends to be for sort mm. of maybe fullbacks like players who are encouraged to go forward but still technically have a job to do you don't really have players who just go anywhere yeah or wide players who are allowed to come in field yeah legend knew where his zone was right this came from Dan and Ross here's Christian Arango opening the scoring for Real Salt Lake against St. Louis in MLS Crooks, Arango, lovely turn, away from pressure, it's it! Chicho Arango with a cynical finish! Now, now Dave, we know what he wanted to say, no question there. Um, but what would a cynical finish look like? <laughs> what, what's the goal-scoring equivalent of, say, I don't know, a tugged shirt on the halfway line to halt a counter-attack? That's a really cynical finish. Cynical finish. Ugh. One born of self-interest. Yeah, like you've got a really presentable, easy chance, open goal, and you've done something you didn't need to do. Kneeling down and heading in. But that's more showboaty than cynical, Charlie. That, is that too far? It's very specific. I think a cyn- because cyn- it's a weird because a cynical... Cynical in football means a slightly different thing to cynical in the real world, where cynical is kind of a, a worldview where you kind of think everyone's out for themselves and you see the worst in everything it's a manifestation it, of cynicism isn't yeah, it yeah exactly so so when someone does that that suggests that's their worldview because you're doing it because you think everyone else would do it so the only thing I could think of is like if you if you're given the ball to give back to the goalkeeper for, because there's been a stoppage or whatever and so you do the sports thing and give it back you score because you're like well you've given me the chance to score everyone else would have done that if given the chance I'm just going to score so it would be a, I mean obviously way beyond you know it's just a foul on the halfway line it's a lot more cynical than that but it is that's the only thing I could think of or I guess if a player you round a keeper <laughs> and he's like down he's pulled a hammy and you sort of kick the ball in off him because you're just like <laughs> I really want to rub it in not only am I not yeah. going to stop for you uh, but there aren't many, I don't think. Quite specific examples. Keeper down injured, you have an open goal, you put it in, still sort of, you know, say, oh, I'm sorry, I just want you to score the goal first and then I'll let you deal with it afterwards. Like Sort of covering all your bases, but essentially looking out for myself first. Yeah, cynical finish. <laughs> That's really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought this was tremendous forecast from Jack Pierce ahead of Match of the Day on Saturday, Dave. He says, is Oliver Glasner the most set a manager has been to be spoken to by Gary Lineker at the screen? He had all the ingredients and annoyingly he wasn't and no manager was. It made me, I, I suddenly realised it's not a guaranteed thing that a manager is interviewed pretend live on Match of the Day. Yeah, I don't know whether they get like a certain amount of them a season that they can use up. Sometimes that's the way these things work with your with your rights holders and stuff. Uh, Oliver, are you, are you happy to stay around for seven hours? <laughs> but I, I'm not sure he would be. I think Gary O'Neill or someone like that would be far more in that space because it's like everyone seems everyone loves him. He's he's good with the media. He he would be happy to kind of talk in reasonable depth about his team's performance. So I can more see someone like O'Neill than a Glasner. It's often a Spaniard as well. So so Lineker can do a little bit of Spanish <laughs> with him at the start. <laughs> yes. Um, interesting, Dave, that Charlie took like a uh, manager-centric approach there. I thought it would be more of a scenario-dependent situation because Jack Pierce followed up his failed 
forecast with, if it wasn't Glasner on Saturday, what are the criteria for an at-the-wall interview? It's, it's got to be manager who's upset the apple cart, got a result at Old Trafford or something like that. Uh, and and Lineker's basically, how did you do it? Yeah, if, like, Rob, Ed- if you know, Rob Edwards, if Gluten beat one of the big teams, you know, they've got a few results like that this season. I don't know whether he's done one or not, but it's it's that sort of thing. Someone who's not cynical about the whole process, like who's, who's very open to to being interviewed and, and kind of doing it. And I, th- I think, it, I genuinely think it's logistics thing as well. Can Lineker be ready at the same time as the manager? Is the manager happy to wait for a few minutes? Is it their get, you know, is it their turn? Maybe, yeah, be, in, maybe have... be in, get next one or whatever. I'm sure if, if that Wolves-Chelsea, that Chelsea-Wolves game had been on a Saturday rather than a Sunday, that feels ripe for a Gary O'Neill. Gary, your, t- your team are up to ninth. You've beaten one of the big boys. How, do, how did you do it? How, how, and, and what a season you're having. And then away he goes. Yeah, I completely agree. It's exactly the right scenario. But you have to have, you definitely have to have a manager, Charlie, who's willing to do it. But I, I bet they've got a bit of a, a hit rate situation here where managers say, I'm not up for it. I can't be bothered. I've, I've done my piece now. <laughs> not. I really want to get home. It takes, definitely takes more effort, more diligence on a manager's part to do that one than it is just to say, yeah, yeah, great three points. And uh, yeah, we kick on on Tuesday. Right. End of part one. Back shortly. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome back to Football Clichés. The adjudication panel continues with this from Joe. Charlie says, Luca Dean came off the bench on Saturday and immediately took a throw in. Is that actually allowed? There's a sincerity in that question where I don't think he's actually sure. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't like it either. I don't like it. You shouldn't immediately, you shouldn't take a throw in. I don't be, like it. Be thrust straight in. You should be booked when you get on the pitch after you've taken it. <laughs> She's not actually entered the field of play. <laughs> exactly. And if you do, it's a foul throw. So... <laughs> Was it his side? Was it near side or far side? I just, just, can't just imagine to he ran straight it. over and took it. Yeah, no way. No, <laughs> I wish I found it. I couldn't be bothered to find the footage of it, but I assume he came. The throw was exactly where he came on, right next to the fourth official. But you can imagine, Dave, there being a really tiny technicality in the laws of the game that I have eventually go. Oh, we can get rid of that one. It doesn't matter. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah, it, 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 small element of pressure as well on you for the for first. For first action is a throw, and it's a foul throw. Oh yeah. Then you're really off to a bad start. Get sub back off. <laughs> yeah. What's the equivalent of sprinting on the pitch, but for your arms? Like doing a quick windmill next to the line. Yeah. Like, yeah, shouldn't be allowed. I completely agree with you, Joe. Uh, not that you express that opinion. Next up is Dan Porter, who was watching the EFL highlights of Sheffield Wednesday versus Bristol City. And this particular phrase the reporter used over the top of uh, Ike Ugbo's second goal. Wednesday then got their noses back in front just before the halftime break. And it was Ugbo again, this time directing Marvin Johnson's ball into the net. Not sure it was a cross, but Ugbo gobbled it up anyway. Dan asks Charlie, um, the notion of gobbling up, uh, this goal really tickled me in that context because it came from a from a cross-come shot. But then got me thinking, what is the correct usage of gobbling in football? To my mind, it's a shot buried home from within 12 yards. First time finish after the ball lands fortuitously 
at the feet of player X after the ball isn't cleared from a corner. That feels quite gobbly. It's, it's, it's a bit like it's related to pouncing on, isn't it? That's very similar to how I imagined uh, a gobbling because a gobbling has to be there has to be an element of hung of hunger. Obviously, if you say it one more time, it will get weird. Just <laughs> and so you know. talk about you know strikers that are hungry or you know. So I, there does need to be a that element of it's bouncing around and you really leap in and you you pounce. And you, uh, you get. It. I mean, because this one's a header, which I feel less is less and gobbly. And it's too instinctive as well. Like, yeah, th- th- there wasn't there wasn't much design to the gobbling. Like, essentially, it's like someone rammed it down his throat, and then he that's and, and him claiming that he ate it by choice. Yeah, because yeah, exactly. There has to be desire. You have to show a lot of desire in the gobbling. Dave, this is right up your street, actually. Charlie playing into literally Dave's hands here, yeah, but but rightfully so because we talk about strikers being hungry to score goals, and I think the act of gobbling actually does demonstrate that hunger because it's like it's not just being in the right place at the right time it's wanting to get there first and gobbling up the chance we talked last week about buffet balls and balls being put on a plate could you have winger x puts the ball on the plate and striker y gobbles it up yeah i suppose so i I still prefer it for slightly unexpected drops of the ball that are then Mm. gobbled up but uh, it's not without merit to be laid on a plate and then gobbled up. Just to be clear here, Charlie, uh, Dan Porter then asks, if a striker runs through onto a through ball for a one-on-one and tucks it away, has he gobbled it up? That's not a gobbling. Mm, Definitely no. not a gobbling. No. You've had too much time to think about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Peruse exactly. Okay, glad to have clarified that. Excellent. Right. This is great. Do you know what? I, I've avoided in and around for quite a while now, Charlie, because a lot of the reported usages of it are actually as we've established before, quite right. It's usually geographical ones, like in and around Manchester or something like that, which is fine um, because, a lot, you know, that's the remit of lots of things being in and around the place. So usually okay, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is wonderful. The long-awaited return of in and around. It came from David Smith, who was watching Joe Lysett versus Sewage. Um, and he was chatting to an anonymous whistleblower from a water company. And this is how he introduced himself. So in the meantime, I'm meeting a whistleblower, a real-life water company employee who can shed some light on what the situation's like on the ground. How long have you worked in wastewater? I've been in and around wastewater for about 15 years, <laughs> and I've run some extremely large works. And some extremely- I mean, I don't know how seriously I'm supposed to take this, Dave. I wasn't actually sure if it was real or not, because I didn't watch the programme, so I don't know. How out of context am I? He could be, you know, a pair of waders on, down there, fixing stuff in the sewers. This silhouette of a man. I don't know. Um, but... Charlie, David Smith rightly asks, is this the worst thing to be in and around so far? I haven't heard of a worse one. No, you really don't want to be in or around it. I mean, I wonder, the voice is replaced by an actor. I do wonder if yeah. the actor took some liberties. Um, some very, a slight knowingness to it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, maybe. Right. Let's talk, about, um, let's talk about Arsenal for a second, actually. Dave, there's some rather sort of lazy language that gets applied to teams in very, very good form, especially if they're scoring lots of goals in the process. But let's tick some of these off. Arsenal are free scoring. Is that fair to say? They've scored loads of goals in the last few games and they've broken a very obscure record, which is they've, they're the first team to have scored two or more goals in seven consecutive halves of Premier League football, which is an insane stat. Really impressive if you think about it, but also an absurd stat that shouldn't exist. Is that also fair? Yeah, well, is it 15 in the last three league games, isn't it, Charlie? Six, five and a four, yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, had the, the Porto game. They are free scoring, absolutely. Not in in the style of the, the style of... Not, not They're not just scoring goals, but they look like they could score even more goals and they are scoring sometimes. Free scoring is, the, is a fairly clear-cut concept. You just have to be scoring lots of goals to be free scoring. 
Charlie, but are they are they free flowing? I feel like they are free flowing. Yeah, they're free flowing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, again, linked to the fact they're creating loads of chances as well. So, I mean, obviously, most teams that score that many would be free flowing, but yeah, they they definitely are. Yeah. Then it gets to the third tier of freedom. Are they freewheeling? Because I feel like that freewheeling, Charlie, is that suggests a slight abandon. A lack of tactical discipline because they don't need it, and I, that's very much not what Arteta's about. Yeah. So they're not freewheeling, are I they? I don't think they are freewheeling. Free, yeah. There, there is more of a system. It is the la- most lazily deployed of the three. The freewheeling. I hate freewheeling. Actually, no, freewheeling. And again, what we're talking about, freewheeling is probably rarer now because you know City have been the most free-scoring Premier League team. Yeah. Don't think you'd ever have really described... You wouldn't describe them as freewheeling. It's too surgical. Liverpool maybe at times have been freewheeling. Spurs freewheeling? Spurs might be freewheeling, yeah. Because and, and just demonstrably for freewheeling. Yeah, I mean, I guess well, because Arsenal haven't been conceding any goals, really. So it's not like it's been, whoa, madcap, 6-2 yeah. here and a 4-3 there. It's just been... They're not even conceding chances. Yeah, freewheeling doesn't necessarily imply free scoring either you could you could play in a freewheeling sort of style mm. and you're not you're not less you might be winning matches but you wouldn't necessarily be winning them six nil every week what about like the Ardiles Tottenham team in the 90s when they had the five forwards and all that that's freewheeling yeah they weren't very good but they were freewheeling in their approach I don't want to start a, a debate about how actually attacking Kevin Keegan's entertainment <laughs> Newcastle side were but were they freewheeling I think they were for a time by reputation yeah definitely and that's a good example because like when they drew that game three all at Man City in the season and, and that was a kind of I feel that was when they were at their, almost the peak of their freewheeling it was just complete madness Espria had just joined and it was all it was all happening but they were conceding a lot as well <laughs> between this and the gobble chat I think we've really hit, hit our tempo for this episode um, right little quiz for you Charlie now you enjoy these I think you'll get this bang on and at least the second guess Chris Wilder was asked in his press conference after Wolves versus Sheffield United about Jack Robinson's tete-a-tete teammate on teammate spat with uh, Vinicius Souza what do you think he said something like you call that a spat uh, I say worse to them in training every day or... Oh, it's close. Um, that happens at every club up and down the there country. You go. yeah. Three or four times a year. Very specific last bit, though. Yeah. The up and down the country. You've got Should've to have, have got up that. and down. Traditionally used for training ground spats. Yeah, it's more because that's more behind closed doors things, isn't it, generally? Yeah, you no, know, definitely. It, it's the sort of thing a Soccer Saturday pundit would say, listen, yeah. we used to do that three or four times a week in dressing room. <laughs> A lot of people are saying, you know, it crossed the line. And it probably does cross the line if it happens mid-game on the pitch where you're supposed to be carrying out instructions. It should happen on the training ground, I agree. But um, but I think the uni- there's a universal sentiment here, Charlie, which is, you know, it shows they care. Mm. You know, I, at least it shows that they care. You know, they care. Yeah. Those make, players, no they mis- care. make no mistake. That's what you want to see. Listen, I'd be more worried if they weren't doing that. Exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> really enjoyed this final question of the adjudication panel today from Mambo Number Mike. He says, what exactly is the minimum of fuss? What scenario comes to your mind, Charlie, when you think of a minimum of fuss? I'm interested in the scale of this. Yeah, there are sort of micro and macro to this, aren't there? So, well, I think you could say it just like, obviously, a goal or a penalty, for instance, he's put it away with a minimum of fuss. Mm. That could be a penalty or a chance. I think more macro is the it, if if you if you're sort of a title chasing team, if you're a city and you win in a really sort of two 0 away at Bournemouth, you know that looked like being a difficult game. They've gone and won there with the minimum of with the minimum of fuss. I think uh, that's the sort of more 
kind of bigger sort of whole game as opposed to in-game incident kind of one. You can't go bigger than a game, Dave. You can't win a league with a minimum of fuss, can you? Because, I mean, I think that by definition... To boil a whole year's work to that is... Yeah, exactly. It undercooks the effort required to win a league across a whole season. You could win a group. Now, you could win a group in a tournament, oh, I like but, but actually yeah. that's bigger. You know, they, they've that's a tricky group. They've gone through the minimum of fuss, you know, just... I completely agree. Yes. Yes. But what if you what if you absolutely romped home and won the title in March or something? But it's more it's, it's more exciting than that, I yeah. think, than a minimum of fuss. Like minimum fuss does suggest uh, an efficiency, which yes, you'd have had to be to win a title in March. If you won all your games, all of your victories are one nil. <laughs> Did Mourinho's Chelsea win the league in, in 2004-05 with the minimum of fuss? I don't think they did. When every game was 2-0. They, they, they were a high-fuss team. There was a lot of fuss going on all the time. He was a really fussy manager. But that probably is the closest because the, and because all, all their games were 2-0 in my memory of it. I don't, I don't have the stats to back it up, but that was the most 2-0 season anyone's ever had. Every game was a minimum of fuss. Every game you'd be like, oh, this could be tricky. No, 2-0. Lampard, 37. Someone else, 68. 2-0. Just like, ugh, minimum of fuss again. And then they would just shut down and that's it. And they just conserve their energy, which you know, which is an element of, of fuss minimising. Let's not fight, let's not beat around the bush there. Um, at the micro level, Charlie, you can definitely have um, the same problem. Uh, Mark Duffy says a minimum of fuss equals a Julian Dix penalty. I don't think it does. It's emphatic, but there's a lot of fuss that goes into that. I mean, you'll be pumping these fists afterwards. That's a lot of fuss. I think Harry Kane's more of a minimum of fuss penalty merchant because it's just so clinical. It's just smashed into a corner or or even sometimes he just sort of barely even dink it down the middle because that implies a certain impudence. Yeah, just to kind of this is the most efficient way I can score this penalty. Let's move on. But I think the mere presence of Julian Dix is is a bit of fuss. Yeah, like, it's, just the fact that it's not a striker and it's a defender. It's inherent fuss. Yes. Interesting example for a penalty minimum fuss there, Charlie. I, I still think, given how defined Harry Kane is, is by the groundwork that he's put in over his career to become that sort of player and become so efficient in his technique. There's a lot of hard yards that got into that. And if you're willing to accept that into the equation, I don't think that's minimum fuss. In my head, <laughs> a minimum of fuss penalty is, and you can go too far with this. I'm not talking about like Jorginho style where they basically control the whole scenario themselves. I'm thinking maybe sort of Cantona 1994 FA Cup final where he rolls it home. The nonchalance. There's an ele- yeah, there's an element of putting the keeper the wrong way, but ultimately it's just a nonchalant roll of the ball. That to me is about as minimum of fuss as it gets. Yeah, interesting. I feel the nonchalance and the swagger maybe makes the... Again, is it a medium bit of fuss? Maybe, maybe gives it something, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a, a little He's hint such a of, complicated guy. Hint, hint of fuss, yeah. What if James Milner rolled one home like that? What would you say about that? Yeah, no, Milner, that's a good example. I think Milner going to, with his right foot, to a keeper's left, just kind of, the keeper goes the wrong way. I think there's no fuss going into that. Yeah, he's a really Or even the other player. corner. Like, he, because he just put them in bottom corners, didn't he? He didn't go he's high. He's a good penalty taker. Yeah. He, no, really good penalty taker, but it, was, but it was really unfussy. It wasn't like a, I'm going to focus on sending you the wrong way or, fo- or go high or do anything. It was just, I'm going to put it in the bottom corner, whether you go that way or not. Doesn't matter. No fuss. <laughs> Just... I think run up is important because, like Harry Kane, does the little thing where he does his sort of um, kind of tiptoes on the spot, doesn't he? Before yeah. he, before he starts his yeah. run up, it's quite fussy. It's a fussy thing. Yeah, it is. Did Cantona? Am I misremembering this, or is this right? Did, did Cantona put the ball down, walk backwards, turn around, and then go? That was Mickey Quinn. They're easily confused. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sure Cantona did do that at some point. <laughs> 
But again, I think it's a bit, any sort of ostentatious kind of or idiosyncratic kind of thing that you do in your process, I think yeah. is more than a minimum of fuss. I agree. You don't want to be, yeah, you don't want to be showing off. Yeah, he was a bit too swaggery. Okay, to return to your point, Charlie, about margins of victories and minimum of fuss, Jonathan Cook says um, it's an expected routine victory, 2-0, at least one goal in the first half, 3-0 or 3-1. The one has to be when the victors are at least 2-0 up or 4-1. Any less is nervy but got the job done. Any more is comprehensive or with aplomb. Can't argue with the maths here. There's definitely a, a sweet spot for um, fuss minimising. Yeah, yeah, I think those will qualify. I mean, I do I do always think 2-0 is the high point for this sort of thing. It's why it's my favourite scoreline. I love it because it's so... You just haven't had to put... It doesn't feel like you've had to put in any more effort than you needed to. 3-1 definitely if you've scored if you're 3-0 up and then concede a late consolation I think if you've been 2-0 up and they've got one back any team that happens to yeah that's not it's, not the, it's literally not the minimum of yeah, fuss is that, it yeah, yeah exactly it's not the minimum because there will be some <laughs> fuss and I guess technically you could say that's true of 3 a late consolation but certainly if you're 2-0 up you can see everyone who concedes because 2-0 dangerous scoreline etc when you concede that first goal you're all thinking this is going to be 2-2 isn't it so I think that that's too much fuss to meet that threshold Good shout. Is there a maximum of fuss? <laughs> that's yeah. never been, ever been said. It's never ever. Been, but that but that's just the God, they made the hard work of this, haven't they? Like they've really made this difficult. That's Yeah, whole clubs are defined fuss. by fuss maximizing. Oh, we <laughs> always make it hard for yeah. ourselves, don't we? I love but it. But if you miss loads of if you're one up all game, miss loads of chances, concede late equalizer and then have to rescue yourself with a an, an additional stoppage time winner, that's a maximum of fuss. Yes, got it. Okay, we sorted it. Right then. Speaking of a surplus of fussiness, it's time for Keys and Grey Corner. Ford Super Sunday. A, a lovely little cross section of Keys and Grey. This weekend, so much yeah, to work with. These let's are kick great, off with, these ones. <laughs> let's kick off with this first one. This is a lovely example of Andy Gray's current era of just agreeing and repeating everything that Keezy puts in front of him, but also right at the end, evoking his golden era of pretend conversations. Listen, I'm with Newcastle. On yeah. that. You know, he is an employee of that football club. He has every right, of yeah. course, to go and work for another employer. What if he resigned? To do so. But, well, if he resigned, it's... it's, it's Clearly a breach, isn't it? United have tapped him up and want him. Yeah. But the, the, the figure is 20 million. Just get it done. Get it done. Yeah. That's it. Get it done. It's easy. It's easy. Simple. Pick up the phone. Okay. Wait, how much do you want? Okay. Thank you very much. Send Dan down. Carry on. Send Dan down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why did you need to put that in the conversation? <laughs> it, really had, it really had some colour. <laughs> really makes you feel as, like you're in the room yeah as, al as always with Gray's kind of comprehensive agreements with Keys, there's just like too many there's like too too many steps in what he says like yep pick it stand up pick your phone up call him <laughs> dial the number <laughs> he'll answer one by one <laughs> introduce yourself that's very good he loves it right um, the Carabao Cup final gave them so much material I mean this was a a tap in really for Keezy and for us to enjoy it. This was Keezy on uh, Virgil van Dijk's disallowed goal. I'm doing my best to retain some calm. Mm -hmm. These guys are killing our game. Yes. They are killing the goose that yes. lays the golden egg. Yeah. Well, well, listen, how it's long have we said that? Too far. 
it really has gone too far now. This, right. 11 times out of 10 is a perfectly good goal. <laughs> the, the phrase perfectly good goal is so beloved. Yeah. Of the uh, of the VAR decriers, Charlie. Perfectly good goal. It wasn't a perfectly good goal. That's the last thing you could say about it. Even if you think the offside lawyer is an ass, you definitely can't <laughs> say it was a perfectly good goal. It just wasn't. Just brilliant. I mean, 11 times out of 10 is a nice flourish as well. For yeah. Me. Not, which I'm not sure I've heard. These guys killing our game. <laughs> it's killing insane. the golden goose. Goose. <laughs> <laughs> in, in a few words, setting that dichotomy straight. Them over there are killing our game, the game that we own. It's so it's so perfectly done. Distancing the uh, the jobsworths and the pen pushers at PGMOL. Absolutely brilliant. But not as brilliant as this. This will, I mean, he may well have published his blog in the time we've taken to record this. I should have checked, but um, I guarantee he's used this line uh, on Pochettino. Kesey said uh, on Twitter, "I'm afraid Pochettino wouldn't win a raffle." even if you gave him the winning ticket. Sounds like a nice little line, Charlie, but uh, David Thompson <laughs> follows this up with a very astute observation. Is he technically correct here? For it to be the winning ticket, the raffle would have to have been drawn. So if you possessed it, then you won the raffle. Giving it to him might make him the possessor of the winning ticket, but not the winner of the raffle. <laughs> Bang on! You don't sign over raffle tickets. Nice to see uh, Keys and Grey, Charlie, dabbling in a bit of light-hearted stuff. Uh, it's not all Premier League elite-level stuff there. Uh, here they are analysing Ryan Hall's goal for Croydon um, in the London Senior Trophy against Cockfosters, um, which which is in the hands of the Guinness World Records team to decide whether it's the fastest goal of all time. Uh, so we'll hear what they've got to say about it. Andy Cray's little contribution once again. Ah, oh. The original adjudication panel in many ways. Yeah, yeah. Look in here, Ryan Hall, once of Crystal Palace. Yeah. This goal timed at two... 0.31 seconds. Watch. Straight from the kickoff. One, two, yeah. <laughs> What's the goalie doing? That's brilliant. I've often wondered That's why brilliant. somebody hasn't tried that before. He said he did it in a Sunday League game once and thought, hmm, why not? I'll have a go. 2.31 seconds. That's amazing. That will never get beaten, will it? No. No, no. Not unless somebody fizzes one. <laughs> little news for you, Keys and Grey. I think it has been done before. This is not a newfangled thing. Mind you, if it was a newfangled thing, Charlie, they probably wouldn't like it. So good. The counting is amazing. Just to check, as if the, as if that's in any doubt or that that's the purpose of the <laughs> exercise. <laughs> like, yep, yep. <laughs> yep, no, we have now, we have officially confirmed here on BN that it was as they said. Like, that, that's, not, that's not what you're there to analyse. Um, oh. And then, yeah, the fizzing it. Interesting, interesting point, yeah. Yeah, that, that was actually, Dave, that little technical flourish was, was a very good Can point. You, you could have a one in. trajectory. I mean, because to get, to score from there, you'd have to, it would have to be, because that suggests you're kind of, you need to get it up and down, surely. Yeah, you're not, you're not, you're not beating a goalkeeper either side there, are Keeper would have to have a mare if you fizzed one in from the halfway line, from kickoff. If he wasn't looking, maybe, maybe. I don't envy, I mean, it, it's, it's widely... Um, Assume that because Guinness World Records have been furnished with the video of this, Charlie, it will make them job easier to verify whether it is indeed the fastest goal of all time. But the thing is, you can time when the whistle goes and, and therefore when, he, when they shoot, but there's no way you could ever really establish to a point, to a hundredth of a second when it crossed the line. Mm. And, well, uh, Andy so Gray's I, just done it for you. <laughs> so Gavin Stokes's strike in the West of Scotland Super League First Division in 2017, 2.1 seconds, is still the holder of that record 
feels like something that someone could do a simulation of all three. You know, when they take you into into the virtual thing on Monday Night Football. Do mm. they use that technology to zoom in and find out? Maybe. Hope so. Finally, and I swear this happened the last time Liverpool beat Chelsea in a cup final at Wembley. Paul Smith was watching on B in Sports as Liverpool were milling about just before the trophy presentation in the bowels of Wembley. I can't resist it. I'm sorry. What a mess. It is. It is a mess. The old Wembley was simple. Simple. It was about 23 steps up. Cross, and you never went out of sight. You never travelled halfway up the inside of the stand. It was, it was, was perfect. It not 18 course. steps. I think it was. It was it 18? I thought it was 23. I think it was John Motson who came out with that infamous line. How fitting that a man called Buckham. Ah, yes, you're right. Really first man. Do you know how it was more than 18? Yeah. Correct. I remember Martin now. Buckham of uh, Manchester United. Great line. Mm. Great line. Mm-hmm. But it was simple and it was and it worked well. That is a shambles look. The fans can't even see this. This is the thing. These guys are all inside. <laughs> fans are out there waiting, going, where are they? Where are they going? Just drinking in the moment, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, no other broadcaster would want nor be allowed to get away with this. Very interesting to hear Keys about John Motson, two people who I can't, I've never sort of thought of in each other's orbit. I mean, obviously... Motty. Uh, yeah, Motty. And also, he says infamous. Does he mean that or does he just mean famous? I mean, he's talking about it very, very in very complimentary terms. Oh, with the terms. line itself. Yeah, yeah, with the line itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I quite enjoyed that crossover. Two stabs at the total number of steps at the old Wembley, Dave, and uh, two incorrect guesses. <laughs> A little bit more than that. 18, 23, nope. It is the famous 39, as John Buchan once coined. Yes, good effort, guys. But just, yeah, and then, and finally ending with like a VAR star flourish. Even the, the fans are in this stadium, they've done it. What's going on? <laughs> they've all left. For fuck's sake, they don't need to know everything. They've seen it before. Some of the fans left and missed it. I reckon the fans can work it out. I reckon they can. They'll be out with the <laughs> trophy in a minute. This will be on the big yeah. screen at Wembley, yeah. I'm sure. And they've been to loads of cup finals. Yeah. We know how it works. I think we can care about the fans too much sometimes, Charlie, mm, and this might be yeah. one of those moments. Imagine yeah, they don't that care. Night, you're ecstatic as a Liverpool fan, but that would kill your buzz. Where are they? Are they just sitting there yeah. silently in the stands? Yeah. Just waiting. No one's telling us anything. <laughs> Boo! Right, well, well, <laughs> turning on them as they're constantly. <laughs> right, well, yeah. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's hope we please our fans on the Football Clichés Live Tour, which kicks off this Wednesday at Oren Moor in Glasgow. Then we're off to Manchester the following night, then Birmingham. That's the first little, little tranche of shows that we're doing for this tour. So enjoy this pod. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday with our 300th episode. It's the Football Clichés Quiz 10. You can team up if you like. See you then. Sports Social Podcast Network.